morning. Wow, lots of response this morning. Um, I don't know if you would mind. I'm just going to get me a workout while we preach this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing our series called Questions Jesus Asked. And um, I haven't really run much uh, lately, so if you don't mind, I'm just going to get me a little bit of a workout here. I should have taken the little thing off of here to get the little breeze going up here, so... Uh, we're going to do a little bit of multitasking. So if you have your Bibles or if you have the YouVersion app, you can... This is really distracting, isn't it? Um, I know what I was going to actually bring in? I was going to actually lug in my uh, treadmill and uh, just go on a little jog and just talk with you and preach with you. But this is a little bit easier to navigate. So we're just going to do this and just get a bit of a workout. So Matthew chapter 6. We are going to go to verse number 25. So if you have your Bibles or your version, join us. Um, for those watching online, um, you're already interceding for me. God bless you. Uh, it says this. That is why I tell you, do not worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries be added to a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God, who cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, and what will we drink, and what will we wear? These things dominate your thoughts, the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I take your attention back to verse number 25. No, excuse me. Verse number 27, this is the question, because we actually have a half dozen questions Jesus is asking in this passage, but the one that I'm circling in on, the focusing in on for the day, is this. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Can I talk to you about worry this morning? Is anybody worried about me talking about worry this morning? Is anybody worried about my heart and what's going to happen during this message today? Let's pray. Lord, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your name is to be praised. And so, Lord, we lift your name on high. We exalt your name above all other names. And we're just excited about what you have in store for us today as you meet with us, you talk with us, and you challenge us. So, Lord, I pray that you would guide everything that would be said. Let the word go out like seed upon good soil, bearing much fruit. And, Lord, I celebrate 49 days college football begins, and then later... Pro football begins, and Lord, life will be much better. Lord, we give you all honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about worry. While getting a workout, and I'm already feeling a little perspiration begin to gather on my forehead as I do this while I preach. Uh, but I want to talk to you about this issue that Jesus gives us this question to really call our hearts into question, why do you worry? Um, I read one article the other day that said that every American spends at least an hour and 50 minutes a day worrying in anxiety or in concern. An hour and 50 minutes a day. That averages out to be around 12 hours and 53 minutes 
per week. If you're 64 years old, what that tells you, and all those stats tell you that you will have spent, if you are 64 years old, you will have spent four years and 11 months of your life, your adult life, in worry, anxiety, or concern. If you're 64, that means 60 of the years of your life were without worry. Four of those years, actually almost five of those years, were spent in some sort of worrying, some sort of anxiety, this driving, more than just an average concern, a concern that is heightening your awareness and making you fixate upon things. I want to talk to you about this subject. And so the question comes up, because I asked the question, what do people worry about the most in life? And so I found a top ten list about the things that people worry about. They worry about money in the future. They worry about job security, relationships. People worry about their health. People worry about change. They worry about their past. They worry about loneliness. People worry about failure or rejection. They worry about, they worry that something bad is going to happen. They worry about the unknown. And maybe you're here, and even in that top ten list, I bet you that there is two to three of those subjects that all of a sudden kind of popped up out of that list, and you're thinking to yourself, those are the things that I usually worry about, or I have anxiety about, or I have a little bit more than the average concern about, but it's something that I think worry is a part of our anatomy of who we are as human beings. In fact, I was reading an article about giraffes and humans. And it just started off talking about how, it showed a picture of giraffes, they're eating, they're just grazing, and they've got like truckloads and busloads of humans that are parked next to them taking pictures, and they talked about the different levels of worry between those two mammals. And he said, and look at the animals, and you realize that their stressors are not our stressors. In fact, the terminology is this. We have an immediate return environment, and then we have a delayed return environment. Deer, giraffe, animals like that, they, have, they live in an immediate return environment. And one Duke professor says this, an animal may be startled by a loud noise and it will take off. It will run through the forest, but as soon as the threat is gone, the animal will immediately calm down and begin grazing again. It doesn't, be, it doesn't tie itself into knots regarding what had happened because it's over. You see, when you live in an immediate return environment, the idea is this, is that you only, have to, you only have to worry about acute stressors. Moments happen that cause us a little bit of worry, but immediately when the moment is done, they're back and they're living their normal life. If you hunt deer, you step on a stick, the deer will run off, and as soon as that deer detects that you are no longer in its vicinity, it will calm down and continue to live its life. We today live in a very different society. We don't, as human beings, live in this immediate return environment. We live in a delayed return environment. What does that mean? That means that what we in interact with and what we face, we do it in such a way that we are impacted now and we may not see the return till later. For example, we, need, we have to get paid and so we start a job. Do you get paid after you finish your first day of work? Usually you have to wait, what, a week, two weeks. We have a delayed return environment. We start asking ourselves questions like, will, the, will I ever get a promotion or am I going to be stuck where I'm at for the rest of my life until retirement? We ask questions like this, like, 
I'm in a relationship and it's starting to break up. I'm beginning to see fracture. Will the relationship get any better? And we have this idea that maybe, perhaps someday it could, but maybe it won't work out. Maybe the relationship won't happen. The friendship, maybe that won't get mended. Will I be able to pay that bill? Will I help my kids with their school? Will I be able to take care of weddings? Will I, will I, will I? We as human beings are used to this delayed return environment. And in that environment, rarely can anything be solved right now, in the present moment. And this is where worry creeps in. Because when we are living in a delayed return environment, what we know is this. There is constant, constant uncertainty that's laying in front of us. There's a lot of uncertainty that we're surrounded by on a daily, on a weekly, and on an annual basis. We are surrounded by that uncertainty. And so why am I writing this and why am I already starting to sweat like crazy now? Because the reality is this. This is literally what worry is. Worry is a workout that won't take you anywhere. Worry is nothing more than a lot of work, a lot of constant effort, and the reality is I am no further on this platform than where I began. Some of us have entertained worry so much and we put so much effort, so much focus, so much of our prayer, so much of our time, so much, so much of our marriage, and then we wonder why we haven't grown any further. It's because we invested more into worry than we actually have invested into faith in the one that can meet us in this place. Yes, we live in this delayed uh, environment, this delayed reactionary, this delayed return environment, but the reality is that's why we need the faith that we have in Jesus Christ is because we don't always know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what next week brings. We don't know what next year brings, but what we do know is we've got a God who knows our tomorrows who can be with us right now. And God has called us to a place where we're no longer spinning our wheels in worry. And we wonder why we're exhausted, why we're tired, why we're weary. It's because we've been worrying, sitting in one spot, working that out, tired, sapped of energy, sapped of strength, when God wants us to get up from our worry and begin to step forward into what he's called us into. In fact, I wrote this, worry is a spin cycle. It is a spin cycle of negative thinking that manipulates our proper perspective of our situations. Worry takes your thinking and begins to put it into this like, carousel of chaos, this spin cycle of negative thinking so much that you can have the same view that somebody else has, but that perspective is changed because it's clouded. It's covered over in your worry. It's like a filter on Instagram. You could take a picture and start swiping and change the color, change the tone. And for some of you, you can't see what everybody else is seeing because you've chosen to keep swiping worry over every single situation. Man, do you have a good spouse? I've got a good spouse, but swipe, I don't know how long it's going to last. Boy, I've got a good future plan, but swipe, I don't know how long that's going to be. We are constantly, instead of putting faith over top of our situation, we're constantly swiping worry, putting worry, placing worry. And I wonder if oftentimes we have more faith in our worry than we actually have in Jesus Christ. And if we are not careful, your worry is more lethal than the thing you're actually worried about. Man, do the studies. Look up the studies, because I promise everything on Google is completely accurate. Trust me. 
But look it up. I've done the studies. I've met, I've met with people. Because when you worry, you lower your immune system. When you worry, you have this taxing activity upon your system that works and overworks the system and utilizes it for that it was never meant to be utilized for. Know this, you were not created to worry. Look at the garden. You were never created to worry. You were created to do exactly what Jesus was telling these individuals. What is, what is, this, what is this time of Matthew chapter 6? It is right there in the middle of Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, sermons of all time. We know it as what? The Sermon on the... It's one of the most powerful sermons. In fact, I've been there in Israel. I've been there on the mount. And it was there that a nun screamed at me. It was one of the most amazing experiences ever. I made my group laugh. And she came out yelling, this is a holy place. And she's screaming, and my back is to her. I literally just kept laughing. And the rest of our group was like wide-eyed. And I've never been yelled at by a nun. I encourage it. It's quite a cool feeling. (laughs) Your worry can be more lethal than the actual subject for which you are worried. I'm not telling you to not be on an exercise bike. I'm not telling you to be to have your your health or have bills or have everything off of your radar. But there's a difference between I've got a focus and I'm a steward of my life and that I'm going to be worried about everything. And Jesus asked the question, can anything be added to your life by worrying? He wasn't asking for an answer. He was laying it out. He's trying to really challenge the hearts because you and I have been blessed with our brains. And in our brains, we have something called the prefrontal cortex. And then that, the PFC, the prefrontal cortex, what you've got, you've got this thing in your brain that helps with creativity and planning. It's known as the predictor part of your brain. And what it does is it gathers data in order to help make a prediction or an assumption or to assume what is in the future. And some of you are exercising that today. What is under, like you're trying, you're looking at the shape of what was the black cloth and you were trying to predict what Pastor Dave was going to reveal. And then you saw that and you begin to say, how long is Pastor Dave going to last on that cycle? Immediately, the PFC starts working because you're trying to predict what's there. What happens is this. Worry rises up in us when our predictor does not have enough information to make any type of assumption or call. And when there is that level of uncertainty, that PFC starts going into our bodies and telling us it's time to worry. It's time to show concern. It's time to have some anxiety. There are some of us here, I'll just say some of us, maybe it's just me, that you're a little bit of a micromanager. You are a little bit of a control freak. If you are married to a control freak right now, take your hand and do not raise it. Some of you are raising your hand already. We get into this control wide, that prefrontal cortex. We, we want to take the missing information and we want to fill that in with our assumptions, with our prediction, with something that we can control and when we can't. And there's, there's blank spots missing in our life. Immediately worry goes out. Why do we talk about this? It's because, ladies and gentlemen, whether you know this or not, there will always be scenarios in your life for which you do not have all of the information. There will be moments where the level of your mental intellect will come to its end, and you're going to have this chasm in front of you for which you and I are going to have to exercise something that is impossible to ignore. We have to exercise our faith. I think faith begins far before intellect ends. 
But for some of us, faith ends where the intellect ends. And we've got to come to the place where we have to exercise faith, knowing that we're not going to have a handle on everything, but we have somebody who does have a handle on everything. In fact, we used to sing about it back in the day in Sunday school when we used to say, he's got the whole world. This side went to Sunday school, this side did not. We could trust the one that knows our tomorrow. We could trust in that one and place our faith. Man, it's, I mean, listen, I love science, I, and I firmly believe science is not the opposite of Christianity. It is not the enemy of Christianity. Please somebody say amen to that. Doctors and nurses are not the enemy. Thank you for saying amen to that. And quite often we feel like we have to be in one, fe- one field and one other, one camp and, and, and the other. But listen, there are going to be times that science, and I love science, I almost failed it a few times and then I succeeded a few times. But one thing I've loved about science is it's diving into the details, but then you get to moments where you can't explain it any longer and you have to get to the, fa- the place where you've exercised your faith and to know that what science can explain, we can explain through faith. At times I've watched the History Channel and I've seen, we're going to explain scientifically the miracles of the Bible. So when the three Hebrew boys were, boys were thrown in the fiery furnace, no joke, they found the cool spot in the furnace. And they scientifically they proved there was a cool spot, but then I asked the question, what about the jokers that were throwing them into the furnace that got burned up by the sheer heat? We want to explain why it's that prefrontal cortex that I have to know. And if I don't know, I immediately go into worry. We've got to learn how to have faith. We need to learn how to trust Jesus. I love my homegirl, uh, Joyce Meyer. And I can't believe I just said the word homegirl. My bad. I apologize. Let's redact that from the video. She says this. Worry is a down payment on a problem that you will never have or you may never have. We are making mental, emotional, spiritual down payments, worrying over things that never happen. They say that 80% of the things that you worry about never happen. My worry, my, my concern is that we spend 80% of our time wrapped up in things that sometimes we need to learn how to trust God in And when he speaks to us, to walk in obedience, even though we don't even know what the end will be like. Obedience is the avenue for God to work miracles. And there are some times that God reveals to you to step in front of you. The scripture says the steps of the righteous are what? Ordered by God. But know this, God sometimes only gives you a step. And you don't know the step until you step. Sometimes we just need to trust God. I love this word out of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Can I give you a good word this morning? Can I? I want to give you four good words, because I believe I'm a practical Pentecostal. It means I'm full of the Spirit, I don't handle snakes, and I believe that we ought to be living it out every single day of our lives. Because what we preach, we ought to be able to live on Monday. Our messages are for Monday, snakes and all. We ought to be able to live this stuff out. So I'm going to give you four good words today to help you with worry. We are going to attack worry. We're not going to be the casualties of worry. We're not going to play defense on worry. They say that defense wins games. Listen, I played on defense, and our coach used to tell us, listen, we shut them out. Guess what? We're like, you win. He's like, no, we tie. We need the offense to actually do something. But I I, I don't want to just play defense with worry. 
I want to go on the offense, and so I want to help you with word today. So write down these four words. Name, shift, stop, and add. These are my four words for you today. We're going to combat worry. Jesus, can you add anything to your life, anything to your day, anything to your world by worrying? We're going to help you with that. So number one, name. Name the trigger. Write that down. Just add that onto the, that word name. Name the trigger. Name your trigger. What is a trigger? Trigger? A trigger? There's no such thing as a trigger, by the way. What is a trigger? A trigger is a stimulus that impacts or influences your behavior. And so there are good triggers and there are bad triggers. For example, um, I remember Ethan and I were climbing and there's some certain things in the gym that are just are hard to climb and I, I've been trying for a month, a m two months, and I'm getting ready to climb something that I have not been able to conquer and all of a sudden Phil Collins comes on. And all of a sudden, I literally breezed through what has been unable to be climbed for me for the past two months. And so Phil's so plain, I'm like, what else can I attack? And so I went, I climbed something else. And then like 20 minutes later, another Phil Collins song comes on, triggered something in me, and I went and climbed something else. And, and Ethan, he's like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Something about Phil Collins motivates your pastor. He's my favorite gospel singer of all time. I love Phil Collins. Some of y'all judging me right now. It's because you need Jesus. So we have good triggers. Like, somebody here, you wear Brute cologne. Now, when, that was the actual first cologne I've ever, I've ever utilized. And so back in middle school, you know how you're praying for young men to finally just learn about showers and deodorant and everything? But when I learned about all of that, uh, my parents bought me Brute cologne. And so what I would do is I just watch the commercial, the Aqua Velva commercial, you know, where you just pour it all in your hand, you slap it, and you do this. You know what that does to the ladies? Drives them away. <laughs> I just put obscene amounts. I had jars of it in my gym class because I don't want to take a shower after gym class. All I did was, it's just sweat and brute. It was amazing. How I got married, I do not know. So I, hear, I smell that scent and it triggers memories. But how many of you know that not all triggers bring back good thoughts? Some of you, a song comes on and reminds you of a broken relationship. Some of you, you smell something and it reminds you of a home that you were abused. Sometimes it's the texture of something. It's the sound. I've had couples in my office and, and I've been listening to them and they're talking. One person begins to talk about a trigger. Whenever he says this, he knows it triggers me. He's like, I have no knowledge it triggers me. And, and I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if many of us, we are being triggered to worry. We're being triggered to go into anxiety. And we have to realize that perhaps it's not our boss that is our trigger. It's not our spouse that it's our, that's our trigger. It's not the government that's our trigger. It's not anything that we see right now. But some of us need to recognize that something may have happened in our past that was unfair, that was wrong, that something maybe we didn't intend to do in our sanity of the moment, but we did. And what we have done is we have carried hurt into our future. And because we never went back to get healing in our past, we've inflicted our future. And we're blaming our spouse for saying something that wasn't wrong, but because we never got healing over that issue, it has lingered and it's now attacking our lives. Ladies and gentlemen, we can entertain our triggers or we can call them into the lights. 
And we could say, this is what's triggering me. And it's not that it's a bad thing, but I have to begin to deal with it or else it will keep dealing with me. Name your trigger. Call it into the light. Now, if you're single in the house today, I'm, I'm going to say something that I hope doesn't come off crass or callous, but I'm going to say it is one of the toughest times to ever date in the history of the world. One of the toughest times. It's tough meeting sane people. There's a lot of granola out there, a lot of fruits and nuts. And on top of that, if you start a relationship and you break up, you break up in the physical, but many times you still follow in the digital. And if you dated a friend of a friend and all of a sudden you break up, and then you see on Facebook or you see on Instagram, you see your ex and your friends hanging out. You begin to see them holding hands with somebody else. And in this day and age, we are surrounded by triggers, and we can either allow them to victimize us, or we can call them into the light. And instead of playing games with them, I wish I can get healing. Why not let's take a step of faith and say, God, today I'm ready to begin my healing. I'm ready for a touch in my life. I'm ready to step out by faith, not knowing the certainty of what's going to happen, but being certain of this, that he who began a good work in me will carry it through to completion. We're getting to have faith in God because I'm certain that all of us have been triggered, but I'm also certain that God can heal our brains, heal our spirits, heal our minds if we're ready to submit those triggers to him. Jesus, look at the triggers Jesus calls out. This is awesome. Matthew chapter 25, chapter 6, verse 25. Why worry about your everyday life? Whether you have enough food, drink, clothes, Look at he calls out what I believe are triggers in people's lives of that day. You all, y'all are worried about these things. Stop being concerned. Stop allowing that PFC, that, front, that, that, that prefrontal cortex, to try to tell you what you are. I don't know where the food is going to come from. I don't know what, what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to, how God is going to provide. He's like, listen, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. Don't you know you are more important to God than they are? I'm not anti-animals. We've, we've, we've got a cat now in our home. He is Moses, and he's not leading us out of bondage right now. <laughs> and we love this little, this little feline. We, we, we do love him. My arm is scratched up from medication. Man, trying to give him meds. Don't ever give cats meds, by the way. Goodness gracious. But listen, love animals. They're great, they're wonderful, and many of them are tasty. <laughs> but I want you to know something. As much emphasis as we can put on animals and that we can put on, on nature and I believe in caring for our earth and all of that, Jesus is trying to say, you know what? You see as things as being important in this world, I want you to know God just looks at you and sees you of extreme importance. Some of you need to tap your neighbor right now and say, you are important. And none of you did that. <laughs> Because there are people that are waking up every single day and what they see in the mirror is they see somebody they think God has forgotten that God doesn't care about and they live their life in worry. I don't ever want you to worry that God does not love you. He adores you. So name your trigger. And I gotta keep, I gotta move on. Number two, the second word is shift. Shift. Shift the spotlight. Shift the spotlight. Jesus says, let's look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? Shift the spotlight. 
It was about a month and a half, two months ago, where I was trimming my beard. And, and dudes, it's, it's okay to trim your beard. Some of us have not been blessed with good facial like, girth there. So I keep my beard trimmed down. And every once in a while, I'll look up and I deal with my eyebrows. Why? Two reasons. Number one, they, they look like Cookie Monster after a while, and so they've got to be dealt with. And number two, I have a unibrow. And I don't want to look like Bert from Bert and Ernie with one line across my face. And so that's why I deal with this mess right here. And so after I was, I was doing like a really, like really close trim to my mustache, and immediately I'm half asleep, I went up and went right across my eyebrows and didn't realize it. Then I came here on a Sunday morning, I preached on a Sunday morning, and around Tuesday or Wednesday, I called my wife in a panic, because I went into my bathroom in my office, I'm cleaning my glasses, I look up, and I'm like, where are my eyebrows? <laughs> and I wipe my glasses off, I put them on, and I'm like, oh my word. And I'm like, and I call Anne, I'm like, where have I been? I preached a message with my eyebrows, blah, 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 blah. So when I got home, she looks at me, she goes, what are you worried about? That the glasses come across it, the unibrow was cared for, it's all good. But in my brain, for like a few hours, I'm like, who saw me like this? I did counseling like this. People are like, I've shown up with my troubles. Never mind, I'm good, I'm not him. I'm it's, we're having this moment. I, literally, you're like, this guy's a drama queen. You're 100% right. There's something called, in psychological terms, the spotlight effect. And what it is is this. It is the belief that more people are watching us than actually are. And what happens is when you think everybody is watching, you begin to adjust your life to serve the crowd rather than to serve Jesus. In fact, I'm going to... I'm going to give you a name of an article, and I'm going to use a word that I have banned in my home. It is an F word, not the F word you think it is, by the way. But it's a word that I don't, I don't, I don't allow it to be used in my house, but this is the name of the article, so please forgive. And this is the article's name. 2013, it's called Too Fat to Go Through the Door. And what this, this group of scientists did is they, they recruited 39 people, and they had them perform a memorization study. And so these 39 people were thought they were being tested by walking through doors and down hallways and memorizing things. But that actually wasn't the test. Because 20 out of the 39 were people who dealt with anorexia. And what the scientists did is they took the doors and they had normal sized doors and they had doors that they begin to narrow and to make like more narrow and more narrow. And what they discovered is this, is for the 19 people that did not deal with anorexia, even, it didn't matter how wide or how narrow the door was, they walked through the door normal. But for those that dealt with anorexia, you gotta understand, these individuals that are going through a tremendous trial and tribulation, these people that are going through so much in their bodies and in their minds, so that when they look in the mirror, they see a different image than what you and I would see. And what happened was, they would see a doorway, and if they saw it narrow, they would immediately turn their bodies and walk through the door because what they saw with their eyes was inconsistent with who they were. And so all of a sudden, door is narrow. I have to adjust myself because of how I see myself, how I'm navigating my own thoughts. And isn't that what worry does to all of us? It makes us adjust our life to turn our lives to go through situations. Or we don't want to go to church or we adjust our way when we go to church and we start singing about the God that loves us, but we begin to adjust our theology. But if God really knew who I was, he wouldn't love me. 
If he knew, if God really knew the things that I have in my life, they, there's no way that God could accept me. The preacher's talking about these things about God, but there's no way that could apply to me. And we live in this level of uncertainty where worry creeps in. Well, I wonder, does God love? Will God provide? Will God heal? Will God take care of? And we constantly turn our lives and adjust ourselves to worry. And our worry has shaped the doorways that God, is, that God has challenged us to walk through. And I'm here to say that we need the scripture. Why? Because God's truth trumps feelings. The truth of God trumps feelings every single time. I don't care if you don't feel loved. You're loved by God. I don't care how much you have self-hate. I'm writing a chapter right now in my book on self-hate. Some of you, you look in the mirror and you can't stand the person that is in the mirror. But I'm here to say that the person you can't stand, God loves so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever, whoever, whoever believes doesn't have to perish, but it has everlasting life. God is healing. He has peace. He has love. And you don't have to adjust to every single failure. Pastor, you don't know how I failed. Listen, everyone in this room has failed. But just because you have failed doesn't mean that you are a failure. Well, I've made mistakes. Just because you've made mistakes. And we've all made mistakes. But guess what? Just because you've made mistakes doesn't mean you are a mistake. But worry has made us adjust ourselves to fit through doorways and to fit through moments and to fit into callings and to fit into journeys that we were never meant to adjust our lives. I want you to turn your shoulders straight and begin to adjust the spotlight. Get the spotlight off of you and turn the spotlight on Jesus. Stop putting the spotlight while everyone's watching. I'm here to say most people aren't watching. The devil has put a spotlight on you and we keep that spotlight on us and we're worried about what other people are thinking. Who gives a care? Well, all I care about is what God thinks. We live for an audience of one. We serve the Lord and we put the spotlight on him and we fix our eyes upon him and we run our race after him. Our children of God, aren't you thankful you're a child of God this morning? Man, shift the spotlight. This makes me think of the Apostle Peter in the, in the best gospel out of all the gospels. I love the gospel of John so much. Gospel John chapter 18, it's the story of the Apostle Peter for which Jesus said that before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so, so Peter, in the coldness of the night, Jesus has been arrested. He's trying to follow from a distance. That's why many people nowadays love following Jesus from a distance, but it's a different message. And he gathers around some coals, it says, and he begins to warm himself by these coals. And there he's approached by three different people, including a, a small child, Aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he denies Jesus three times. And he hears the rooster crow, and he is broken and inside. A chapter later, Jesus has been crucified. He has been resurrected. And Jesus appears on a beach and calls the disciples. And Jesus, uh, Peter, he is, he is so excited to see Jesus. He doesn't wait for the boats to row. He jumps into the water. And he comes up to the beach. And what does Jesus have prepared? Coals. I wonder if coals were a trigger for Peter to remind him of what was hurt in his past. And yet Jesus has prepared coals as bring in some of the fish that you caught and make some breakfast. I think one of the most godly things you can ever do with somebody is make them food. And I'm not even joking. He makes them food. And right there, he begins to ask Peter questions. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. 
Why does he ask him three times? I believe that he was restoring him because three times he was denied. And he asked Peter three times as if to restore him. Because that thing that once triggered him, we have, named, we have called out the trigger. And right here, Jesus wants to shift the spotlight. Peter, stop looking at the failure. Stop worrying about what you did. And I want you to set your feet and your face like flint into what I'm calling you to do. Love and feed my sheep. That's your calling. Now walk in it. Shift the spotlight. You see, the cross reframes what you've done so that you and I can be free to reshape how we see ourselves. That's what the cross does. And that leads me to number three. I gotta, I gotta get moving here. Number three, stop catastrophizing. I'm gonna introduce a new word to you today. Stop catastrophizing. Some of y'all are Googling right now. Is that a Pastor Dave word or an actual word? This is an actual word. What, what this means it is a psychological term where somebody assumes the worst will happen. Your third word is stop. Stop catastrophizing. Stop. It's like one of you, it's one of you individuals in the house, you've never done anything wrong at work ever. But tomorrow you'll be going to work and you'll forget about stadium and the condition of stadium road. And you'll get stuck in traffic. And all of a sudden, you are going to be a whole 60 seconds late. And immediately, you're going to begin to think, Oh, what is my boss going to think? I'm going to get fired. They're going to just cancel my 401k. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Don't, don't raise your hand. Some of you are married to catastrophizers that when you come to moments, all you can think of is the worst. I actually had a boss that would keep a file. We called it the file of doom. That they, whenever you did something wrong, he would put it into that file so much that after a while, if you did something wrong, he would bring you in and he would pull out that, that folder. He would say, three months ago, you did this. Four months ago, you did this. Some of us live in the mentality that's what people do and that's what God does. Why do we do it? It's what psychologists will say. It's our safety mechanism. And what we're doing in our brain is we are developing, we're developing a disaster dress rehearsal. We catastrophize. Developing storylines, trying to prepare ourselves, but in reality, we are digging ourselves into our own grave with worry. In fact, we wrote it this way. Worry is a misappropriation of my imagination. It is misappropriation of my imagination. I dealt with this for years. Even when I became pastor here, I was catastrophizing, walking into board meetings, walking into Sunday morning services. I would get a letter uh, labeled to Pastor Dave, and I would just, I get anxiety. This is going to be the worst. I'd open it up expecting to hear all the things I'm doing wrong, and it's somebody trying to encourage me and gave me a Starbucks gift card. I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. But we play these games and we start expecting the worst. And at one point, I wrote on the top of my door uh, when I would walk out of my office the simple words, Lord, sanctify my imagination. We're, we're using our imagination to protect us, but what we are doing is we are robbing ourselves of present joy. And my word to you this morning is don't miss out on what God has for you presently because you refuse to be fully present with him. See, this prefrontal cortex, you know what it does? It, it does more than just predict, but prefrontal cortexes, if you've got a really healthy one, it actually will make you into a better dancer. You want to know why I don't dance at weddings? Because I don't have a good prefrontal cortex. <laughs> I just stand in the corner and I eat food and I watch everybody else have fun. But the reason why, what it does is the prefrontal cortex will hear music and it will anticipate the rhythm. 
And some of us are using our prefrontal cortex, you're using your spirit to try to follow the rhythm of the culture and of the world instead of the melody of what God has called you to. We are keeping in step with culture when we ought to be keeping in step with Jesus. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. That is why I tell you not to catastrophize about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or clothes to wear. Verse 28, why catastrophize about clothing? Look at the fields. Look at the lilies. He is challenging us to stop the worry. And lastly, and worship band, y'all got to help me out here. Write down the word add. And right next to the word add, would you put a dot, dot, dot? What is the dot, dot, dot in punctuation? What's that called? Do you know? An ellipsis. Got the pop chart for that one. Good one. It's an ellipsis. What ellipsis is, it means it's an unfinished sentence. Because so much of worry has to do about future. I'm not where I imagine myself. I'm not in a place where I thought I would be. I'm not doing what I thought I would do. My marriage is not as far as I thought it would be. I haven't found the spouse that I thought I would find. My kids are not following in my footsteps. This job isn't what I what it was built to be. We have so much worry with that. And the problem is, is so many of us, is when we have moments that hit our lives, is we put a period at the end of that. End of sentence, and now we live within that sentence. But I wonder if I could challenge you to do this, is I can challenge you, and when you think about those moments that happen to all of us, instead of putting a period, would you put an ellipsis? Because an ellipsis says that may have happened, but that's not the end of the sentence. That's not the end of the moment. We got to get live beyond the sentence, live beyond diagnosis, living beyond divorce decrees, living beyond moments that wanted to break us, living beyond things that have happened to us that are out of our control. Stop putting a period where God says we're going to put an ellipsis and to see that there's more to life than what has happened. Verse 31 says, therefore, don't be anxious. But what, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. And if you want help with ellipses in your life, then I'm going to introduce a word to you that maybe you don't need or you don't use all that often, but I think it's a phenomenal word to help all of us. And it's spelled Y-E-T. What's the word? Yet. Some of you need to look at your life. And some of you, you've just said, well, I'm not healed, period. But what if we stopped worrying about that and actually put our faith in the Lord? And what happens instead of saying, I'm not healed, I'm not healed yet. I don't have peace yet. I'm not joyful yet. I'm not sober yet. I'm not free from my drugs yet. I've got a Jesus who's with me, and he's going to carry me. He's going to walk me through that I have not stopped failing yet. I haven't seen breakthrough yet. I haven't seen revival in my city yet. I haven't seen my prodigal child come home to Jesus yet. Let's be a people that stop worrying about what has happened and begin to lift up her eyes and say, you know what, God? You're not done yet. You're not done yet. If you're still breathing, God's not done with you yet. You may have failed 
But there's still the best has yet to come. Add an ellipsis. It's time to believe in the God of the yet. Well, I've got a lot of uncertainty. That's fine. We don't serve certainty. You know what the opposite of faith is? It's not doubt. It's certainty. What we need is faith to help us where the prefrontal cortex can't predict or understand. We need the God of the yet. And if you're in worry today, we're going to have prayer over you. So would you do this? Let me pray over you. I'm done yakking.